Today's scripture reading is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and can be found on page 1202 in the Bibles under your seat in front of you. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braiding hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a series of messages right now called Fighting for Joy. I thought it was somewhat ironic after my message last week. I forgot that the pictures are pictures of boxing gloves. And this is a series on marriage, so I wasn't trying to communicate that <laughs> that you should go home and fight it out, literally. But the truth is, there is such a good thing as a good fight in, in a home. And um, we're going to continue today to talk and to think together about marriage. Fighting for joy. Why that title for this series? Well, the book of 1 Peter is all about joy. It's all about hope. But it was written in the context of real suffering. And so sometimes when you're in the trenches, you really do have to fight for joy and for hope. So uh, today we continue this series on, uh, on marriage. We began it last Sunday. And last week we looked at the first part of that passage that you heard read. We talked to the wives primarily about God's call to the wife to submit to uh, or to respect her husband. And the funny thing is I didn't get any hate mail this past week. I was amazed. I thought for sure I would. But I suspect that you wives were just gearing up to come back today so that your husband can hear the second half of the story and uh, we can talk to them about what it means to be a godly husband. And that, in fact, is what we're going to do. But before we dive in, let me just be, uh, be up front with you and say that I believe that there are probably at least two groups of people here today who have already decided to check out and not let this word come to your heart. A couple of people, maybe, maybe several of you, have already decided, oh, this message is just not going to be for me. I'm going to check out here. Not going to, not going to pay attention. First of all, there are those of you who are not husbands. We're going to look today at verse 7. And some of you uh, have said already inside your mind, um, this is not for me. This verse is just for married men. So I'm going to play with my, my iPhone or whatever it is you happen to have with you right now. And let me just remind you of something that I said last week. I totally realize that not all of you are married, nor all of you are men. About half of you this morning are female, I would 
guesstimate. Plus, a lot of you are, like I said last week, single or divorced or widowed. And at first glance, when you look at verse 7, you would say, well, that says husbands. I'm not a husband, so I'm not going to pay attention to this. Last week, I said that the whole Bible is for the whole church. And I meant that because the scriptures are not just a, a set of instructions for different groups of people. The scriptures are a revelation of Jesus to his bride, the church. And all of you, uh, by faith, are going to take something home with you today. For example, um, those of you who are parents need to listen to what the Bible teaches about marriage so that you can train your children to understand a biblical view of marriage. Those of you who are single or you know, maybe hope to one day be married, need to listen to this passage of Scripture so that you know what to expect and what to ask God to work into your heart so that you can be prepared for a biblical marriage. And those of you who were once married, who do not expect to be married again, you know why you need this passage of Scripture? Well, one reason is that we need you. We need you who were once married, maybe never will marry again, to invest yourself and to mentor and disciple those who are married, one day will be married. So the whole Bible is for the whole church. Not only that, you're going to see later that Jesus is very much revealed in this passage. And we all need Jesus. So that's one group, I think. If you're not a husband, you need this passage. But the second group of people that I want to address briefly are those of you who are husbands but you feel like you're a total failure. And you don't want to hear yet another sermon about how you've been such a bad husband. Let me tell you, that's not what you're going to get. And those of you who feel that you've been a big failure need the gospel and you need this passage of Scripture. Maybe you've hurt your wife in the past and you and she are still dealing with the mistakes and the consequences thereof. Maybe you're struggling every day with a sense of deep inadequacy. Maybe you want to be a better husband, but you fear that you will not change, that you can't change, that it's too late to change, or that God will not help you change. Men, I just want to say, if you fall into that category of discouraged, despairing men, and you don't want to be told how bad a job you're doing, I want to say to you, be bold this morning. Be bold, because if you're a believer in Jesus, the truth is you never, ever have to wallow in feelings of being a failure and being inadequate. You know why? Because the liberating truth is that we're all failures in so many different categories of our lives. The truth is we don't even know how inadequate we really are. Now, why would that be liberating? Well, it's liberating because you can actually face your sin and face your failure with confidence and hope because of what God says about you. That never changes. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, God looks at you and says, my, you're beautiful. He looks down into your heart and he says, my, you are so righteous. I am for you. I am with you. I've never given up on you and I never will. I know for a fact that there are discouraged men among us this morning. There are husbands who have failed to do what Peter is going to be calling us to do. But please be bold. Please acknowledge your righteousness in Christ. 
Remember our verse of the year? You are a chosen person. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. And so men, let's rise up and be bold lovers and receive the gospel today and receive this instruction because in Christ you can do this. Bit by bit, step by step, we can do this. So don't let the devil say that you're a failure and you have no reason paying any attention to this passage. So with that little bit of introduction, let's dive in. And Our, our focus this morning is verse 7. What I want to cover with you this morning is three things. First, what God is calling husbands to. Second, why that's important. And third, how you're going to do it. What he's called us to, why it's important, and how we're going to do it. So the first thing I'd like to open up for you this morning is what God is calling husbands to do here in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Two things. Husbands, know your wife. And second, honor your wife. So let's deal with both of those. First, God is calling husbands to know their wives. It says in verse 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife. That's what it says here in our New International Version. Literally, what Peter says is to live with your wife according to knowledge. It's that Greek word gnosis that a lot of you know about. Live with your wife according to knowledge. Now, how do you know your wife, right? Some of you are saying, I'll never understand my wife, and that may be true. But you can know your wife. And the question is, well, how do you know anything? Well, you know anything by studying it, by reading stuff about it, by seeing things from new angles. You know things by seeing what other people have said about it, by experimenting with it, by spending time with it. And the same is true in marriage. The way that a husband will know his wife is by studying her. By reading her. Husband, you can know her needs, her fears, her dreams, her desires, and her hopes. That's what Peter's calling you to know about your wife. One of the things that's kind of neat about being a pastor is that I get to go into hospitals. It's not nice for you, but it's nice for me because I have a wife who works in one. My wife is a nurse, as many of you know. And sometimes when I go to visit some uh, one of our patients that's in a hospital... I can see my wife if it happens to be that hospital. And one time I remember I went to see this patient, paid a little visit with, with him, and, and then I went upstairs. This was when she worked at uh, ORMC. I went upstairs to her floor where she worked on the ortho floor, and I wanted to just see my wife in that environment. So I came around the corner after I got off the elevator, and I looked around for her, and there she was. And I remember just standing there watching my wife in that environment, a new place. I watched her skills. I watched the way she related to people. I studied her. Now, maybe you don't have that same exact kind of parallel, but you can find your wife in new settings. You can read your wife in new ways. How? Well, you can do stuff together that you've never done before. You can take a class together. You can put yourself in a new situation You can take a day trip. You can go to the theater. You can tackle a project together. Do something new together as a couple. See, some of you have gotten tired of that, haven't you? Some of you have said, I don't want to do anything new. Well, you got to. 
If you're going to know your wife, you've got to do new things. So pull out that calendar section of the Friday newspaper and, and find a show or find a concert or something and go together because what that does is it puts your wife in a new place and you can study her, you can know her, and that's so really very, very important. Look, there's something new to discover about your spouse the whole life that you have together. Sometimes you just have to dig for it. Sometimes you just have to work at it. So husband, first call is to know your wife. I found a neat book. Uh, some of you guys might want to try to find something like this to do. And Susie and I were talking about it the other day that we need to do this. It's a book called 450 Unfinished Sentences. And what you do is you just pull it out. Maybe you're on a date or you're sitting at the dinner table or you have a few, a few minutes to spare and uh, you just pull out one of these unfinished sentences. And husband, you can take the lead and say to her something like, uh, the first thing I said today was, your turn. Um, the ingredients that make a good movie include, and you just toss that out. So try to pick up a book like that, 450 unfinished sentences. You'll find out new things about your spouse that way. So first, men, uh, know your wife. Secondly, Peter calls us, to honor our wives. Honor your wife. Look at again at verse 7 where Peter says to treat your wives with respect. See that word? Respect. Treat her with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now look, uh, don't stumble over that phrase weaker partner. What Peter's talking about there is that she is, generally speaking, weaker physically than you are. Most men are a little bit more muscular, a little stronger than women. Although, I got to say, don't ever ask me to give birth to a baby. That's all I want to say. Because there's nothing that requires more strength than that. But nevertheless, you get Peter's point here. Most ways men are stronger than women and are more tempted to use their strength in ungodly ways. Peter says don't do that. Don't distort the gift of strength. Rather, as your weaker partner, treat her with respect. Because, as Peter says, she is a, an heir with you, equal with you of the grace of life. Now this was a radical, radical concept back in Peter's day. I mentioned this, I think, last week a little bit, that women weren't considered precious in the time of Peter. They weren't considered worthy of honor, as Peter is calling us to give them. Women had no legal rights. They were considered things, not persons. They were chattel. You know, even today in the East, in portions of the East, it's very common to see men riding on a donkey while his wife is walking, trudging along behind him, to the best of her ability. That's the way women are often treated in other parts of the world. And it was so in Peter's day. The Hillel school of Jewish rabbis taught the Jewish people that a man could divorce his wife for any reason at all. If she didn't please him in some way, it didn't matter what way it was, he could sue for divorce. If she didn't put enough salt on his food, the Hillel rabbi said that he could divorce her. That's the way women were viewed then. Pagan, pagan men had affairs all the time. But look what Peter says. He says, treat your wife with honor, with respect, as an heir with you of eternal life. Your wife is an equal in the eyes of God. She is your partner. She's not your gopher. 
Now, I thought of some ways that we husbands commonly dishonor our wives. I'm glad to say I'm not guilty of any of these things, but perhaps you are, and you need these ways. Boy, is that not true. Uh, I thought of some ways that we do commonly dishonor our wives. Let me tell you a few ideas. I think we dishonor them by habitually getting home later than we say we will. They don't they can't trust us anymore. We dishonor them by being sloppy around the house and just expecting them to pick up after us. By not communicating with them. That's a common complaint. That's why you guys need to go to this new Sunday school class that's going to start next week. Have you read about this? Uh, We have a few people who are going to teach a Sunday school class beginning next week on communication in marriage. And men, we're going to give you a little extra incentive. Right after the service today, as you leave this worship center, there's going to be some people outside that have a valentine that they'll give you if you commit to coming to that Sunday school class. Here's a valentine. It starts on Valentine's Day. And you fill this out and it says, as part of my Valentine's Day gift to you, my wife, I commit to attend the Foundations of Marriage class so that we can work on our marriage together and strengthen our union. And you sign it and give it to your wife and off you go to the class next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. That would be a great thing to do. Because on Valentine's Day, yes, which I said. Oh, oh, that's two weeks from, sorry, thank you, Johnny. Two weeks from today. My bad. It starts. So do, do that. Communication. It's commonly said that we men don't communicate very well, isn't it? <laughs> I saw a study that even said 37 minutes a week is what an average husband and wife do in communication. 37 minutes a week they communicate with each other. Let's way improve on that by communicating. How do we all, how, what other ways do we dishonor our wives? By not expressing our needs to our wife. Not expressing our needs. A wife feels that she's irrelevant. If we don't, if it's always, honey, what do you want to do? That makes us look like we're just content doing anything. And our wife feels valued when we say, honey, I want to do this with you. Will you do it with me? That's a very honoring thing to say. Spending more quality time with other people than with your wife. Or with your work, or with your children, or with the internet, or with TV, than your wife. Very, very dishonoring. Um, Not consulting your wife before making a big decision or making a big purchase. Uh, Yeah, that's the one I did last week. (laughs) Um, I did. I just went on with it. Didn't ask her, didn't talk. Abdicating your role as spiritual leader of your home. that's, That's dishonoring. Now, let me elaborate on that one a little bit. Leadership in the home, that's what God calls the husband to. But leadership does not equal dictatorship. Leadership does not mean that you're the superman all of a sudden and you do everything and you control everything. And it, doesn't, it also doesn't mean that you have all the answers. Instead, what it is is that here's a picture of a thermostat. That's what you are, husband. The husband is the thermostat of the home. I think is a biblical way to look at it. That is that God is asking us to be responsible, to take responsibility for the spiritual climate, the tone of the home, to make the home be as best we can a place where our wife and if we have children, our children are healthy, are growing, are happy, are comfortable. That's what a thermostat does. 
But husband, you will be wise if you'll let your wife be the thermometer. They're usually better at that anyway. She knows where things are going off and not doing the right thing. So husband, what I would advise us to do is ask our wife questions. Ask our wife questions like this. Honey, how are we doing, do you think? How are we doing these days? How do you feel about the children these days? Are we nurturing them? Do you feel that we're adequately disciplining our kids? Ask her opinion. Get her perspective. Um, Honey, what's coming up on the schedule that we need to talk about? Get your calendar out. Make sure she knows what you've got to do. That is an honoring thing to do for her. How can I pray for you, honey? is a way to be the thermostat of the home and to really rely on your wife as the the, uh, thermometer would be a great and respectful thing for you and me as husbands to do. So let's wrap this point up. What is God saying to us husbands? He's saying, know your wife. He's saying, honor your wife. So let's move on to the second question. Why? Why is all this very important? And it is. Well, let me give you two reasons it's important. The first reason's positive. The second reason's a little bit on, on a negative side. The first reason why it is important that we honor our wife and know our wife is that knowing and respecting our wives gives them one of the main things. Listen, it's one of the main things they need from us, and that is the feeling of being pursued. Knowing our wife, studying her, honoring, respecting her, is one of the greatest ways we can meet one of her primary needs, which is the need to be pursued. Sometimes in a counseling setting, I'm sitting there with a husband and wife, and they've come in because things are not good. And I listen to her story. I listen to his story. And then what often happens is that I look at the husband, and I take her part. And I say to him, what I hear her saying is that she really, really wants you to pursue her. She has a very valid need to know that she's your treasure. That you think she's the most important thing in your life. More important than your work. More important than your friends. More important than coaching Little League. More important than your hobbies. More important than TV. Watching the last season of Lost. More important than that. More important than the children. More important than your computer. She needs to know that that her opinion matters. That her perspective is valuable to you. That she matters. And then I look to the wife and I say, am I right? Am Am I speaking for you accurately? And it invariably is the case that she's got tears running down her cheeks. Because she's been dying for him to get it. That simple truth that she just needs to feel pursued she's dying for him to know to 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 let her know that he really really loves her you know that's at the core of a woman it really is at the core of her being you know like i've said before a man's greatest fear is to wake up one day and be a failure that's his greatest fear but a woman's greatest fear is to wake up one day and not be loved to be rejected to be tossed aside as so much chattel That's a woman's greatest fear. And that's men. That is why passivity on our part is so utterly devastating to our wives. She needs our active pursuing love to meet that inmost need. 
But now the second reason why this stuff's important. The second reason is that if you don't try to do this, this knowing your wife, this honoring your wife, if you harden your heart against this truth and say, I will not receive this, I will not work on this area in my life. If you take that tack, you know what Peter says? Peter says God is going to put distance between you and him. Look at verse 7. He says, treat your wife with respect as the weaker partner and as heir with you of the gracious gift of life so that, what? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. The word hinder means to impede or prevent or thwart or block. God is actually teaching us, guys, that if we harden our heart against loving our wife and knowing our wife and do not attempt by His grace to work in this area, God's going to not listen to our prayers. You might be saying, well, gee, that seems awfully harsh. I don't know if I really believe that. I thought God always listens to my prayers. Listen, here's the truth. When we fail to resolve problems in our relationships with people, in other words, when we allow something to just continue on and we don't get involved in it, we don't try to work on it, we don't love, we don't forgive, we don't repent, and we don't care about that human relationship, God takes it as an offense against Him. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches this. Jesus says there, if you are offering a gift at the altar, that is, if you're involved in worship, if you're having your quiet time, if you're trying to read your Bible or do some kind of spiritual service or activity or something like that, if you are offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, here's what Jesus says to do. Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. That's how seriously God takes it when we don't work on, repent, love, forgive, keep dealing with these interpersonal crises that we have. If it's necessary in our relationships with our brothers and sisters to resolve interpersonal problems, how much more necessary is it to work on problems in our marriage with our wife, with the person whom God has given us as our mate and partner in life? See, God is saying here, Look, guys, I'm not really interested in your prayers at that point. I'm interested in you treating your wife with the respect and the honor that she deserves. So that's a bit of a negative thing. It's not a threat. It's, it's, it may be chastening. It may be God's way of giving us a wake-up call and saying, this is important. You've got to work on this. You've got to take this stuff seriously. Because your failure to love your wife is a failure to love God. And you're going to feel the effect of that in your spiritual walk. So what have we seen? We've seen what God is calling us to as husbands. And we've also seen why it's so important. Now let's talk about the how. It's very important. How is a married man going to do this? How can we expect to spend a lifetime honoring our wife, knowing our wife? Obviously, we're very flawed people. They are too. How is this going to be possible? Well, look again at verse 7. Peter starts off this verse saying, Husbands, in the same way. Love your wife. Notice that phrase, in the same way. Some versions say, likewise. Why did Peter take the time to put, in the same way? Well, 
Notice that it's also in verse 1 of this chapter where he's speaking to the wives and he says, wives in the same way. There it is again, same exact phrase. Well, when you see that phrase in the same way, you obviously have to go back backwards up into chapter 2. At the end of chapter 2, Peter is talking about submission, if you remember that. He says in chapter 2, verse 13, that we're supposed to submit to the Lord, in the Lord's, for the Lord's sake to every institution ordained among men. And then he goes on to speak about how we're to submit to governing authorities. And then after that, he speaks about gov, uh, submitting slaves submitting to masters. But then in chapter 2, verse 21, he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. It says in verse 23 that when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself, that's Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, the wounds of Jesus, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's Jesus. Do you see? Peter's saying, if you want to know how you're going to be able to love your wife, look at Jesus. Now, he didn't mean this. He didn't mean look at Jesus and copy Jesus. He didn't merely say, Look at Jesus and imitate him. Be, you know, he's your model. Try harder to be like Jesus. That's not the gospel. What Peter is saying is that when you look at Jesus and you start to understand how he loved you, and when you allow the gospel and the good news that Jesus loved you unconditionally and took your place on the cross, lived a perfect life for you, died the death you deserve, when you allow that message to sink down deeply into your heart until it's gripped you, it will begin to change you from the inside out. It'll turn a resentful person into a lover. It'll turn a passive man into an active one. It'll turn someone who has given up on his marriage to somebody who's going to work on it again another day. The gospel will do that for you. When you see what Jesus did for you, it'll, it'll transform you. My daughter, Rebecca, is married to a guy named Scott. And this guy is somebody who is a real romantic. He never does anything halfway. Sometimes I'm jealous of the guy, the way he comes up with these crazy ideas. When, he, when uh, Scott proposed to Rebecca, he went all out. She was a junior in Belhaven College. He was a senior at the time, Jackson, Mississippi. And when he proposed to her, here's what he did. He said, Rebecca, I want to take you out to dinner. I want you to dress up really, really nicely. He says, I'm going to dress up real nicely too. And uh, I've got it all planned, so Rebecca, you come along with me. And So they went downtown Jackson, Mississippi. And he took her on top of this old building that she loved. It was the Prince Edward, the King Edward Hotel, downtown Jackson. He said, we're going to go to the top of the building. She didn't know what was going on. They went to the top, the roof. And when they came out of the elevator onto the roof, there Rebecca saw a table covered with a linen tablecloth, candles on the table, steak dinner, fine dinnerware. One of their friends was playing classical guitar down at the one corner of the rooftop. He seated her at the table, had her sit down. They had this beautiful, wonderful dinner. And then after dinner, he said, Rebecca, come look at something. 
So together they walked over to the side of the building, up on the rooftop of the King Edward Hotel, and he said, look down. And there on the roof of the adjacent parking garage was this. These are luminaries. Scott had paid some of his friends while they were eating dinner to put these luminaries on the top of this parking garage. I mean, isn't this guy romantic? I told you that. This is, it was so much bigger than what you see here. It almost took the width of that rooftop. Will you marry me? How could my, how could my daughter say no to that <laughs> kind of proposal? But you know why I wanted you to see that? To get you to remember that when you, when you were an enemy of God, when you wanted nothing to have with God, you were going your own way in life. You were enslaved in your sin and in your misery. You were bound for hell, loved by no one and no hope at all. God saw you. The Bible says his heart went out for you, to you. He loved you. The Bible says that he pursued you in Christ. God, the one being in all of the universe, who is complete and whole in and of himself, who is infinite, eternal and unchangeable, who needs no one and no thing for his happiness, yet set his love upon you and upon me. And he proposed marriage to you. He said, I want to be your God and you be my people. I want you to be my bride So Jesus came to where you were in your sin and in your misery. He didn't wait for you to come to him. He he lived a perfect life for you and took your place on the cross and rose again and lives ever still interceding for you. Jesus, it says in Ephesians 5, gave himself up for you as your husband. Now see that, that is how, husband, you are to be changed into a lover of your wife. Go back to the gospel. Let it sink in. Let it grip you. Preach it to yourself daily. Live out of this. Remember how he loved you. Believe that you've been loved by a Savior who by sheer grace pursued you and pursues you still, who knew you and knows you and yet honors you every single day. It'll turn you into a husband to whom your wife will want to submit. Let's pray. Let's pray, and I'm going to ask if you feel so led, men, if you're a married man, if you're a husband, and you would like to commit today to be a husband who loves your wife, who knows your wife, a husband who dies for your wife and serves her, if you want to be that man and to be changed by the gospel into that man, would you stand up? And let's just stand before the Lord. Everybody's just going to pray. Everybody's going to close their eyes. It's just you and God right now, us and God, us as a group of men. If, if you'd stand, I'm going to pray for us. And let's make this our prayer as a group of men. Jesus, uh, thank you for loving your bride. Thank you for pursuing us when we were running the other way. And Lord, right now I ask you to help me to know my wife, to honor my wife. Help me remember that this is what she needs most from me. That this will really help her thrive. Lord, you love our wives so much that when we neglect her, you won't listen to our prayers. Lord, thank you that that's not a threat. It's just an indicator of how much you love our wives and want us to love them too. So Lord, we give ourselves to you here and now. We say goodbye to the sins of the past. We refuse to be enslaved to the old me. 
We believe that all of our guilt was nailed to the cross. All our punishment was taken by Lord Jesus. So empower us by your spirit to look into the face of our wives as Jesus looks into my face and says, I love you. You are mine. Help us, Lord, to serve our wives, to know them, to treat them with respect as our partners in the life of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.